Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Jeff Evans from Iron River, Wisconsin. Jeff is a fishing guide. He's been involved in the industry for a really, really long time. Many of you are going to be familiar with who he is already. This is our first time having him on, but he's been on my list for a really, really long time. This was such an enjoyable conversation. It's the Wisconsin Inland Opener this week. If you're listening to this right as it airs, uh, we did this interview we're talking early spring walleyes revolving around uh, the Wisconsin opener and all the anticipation and just that fun tradition around the walleye opener. Uh, but anybody that fishes walleyes or crappies, we're definitely going to give the crappies a little love in this conversation as well. Uh, anybody across the Midwest that wants to fish in the spring ought to be excited about this interview. Jeff is a very fishy dude, and this is a super, super fun conversation. He's got some entertaining stories as well. And uh, yeah, just a super nuanced angler. So let's get into this here. We've got Jeff Evans. We're talking spring walleyes and a little bit of crappies. Let's get into the interview. Later on, but talk to us about uh, what you love about catching big pike so much. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I Ever since uh, I can remember, um, pike has always been kind of a, a fascinating fish for me. Um, I live along the, the James River here in in North Dakota and, and, uh, we don't have very big fish and stuff, but, uh, on that river, um, but there used to be a lot of pike in there and I'd always ride the bike down there and catch pike every day. And, and it just never, never stopped wanting to catch pike. So, um, it's always been a fascinating fish for me. I, um, you know, kind of, uh, pursued trophy pike pretty extensively for a long time now. And, and I, I think they're a, a very challenging fish to 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 catch and, and to pursue. I you know they're a big pike or to me they're they're like a whole different species of, of fish, uh, much different than uh, you know the regular small hammer handled pike that you know oftentimes are kind of a nuisance when you're fishing walleyes and things. So um, you know you got to target them much differently. Uh, use much different equipment than you do for those small fish. And, you know, I, I don't, one thing I like about the pike is just their, their attitude. You know, they're, they're big and mean and aggressive fish and they got a mouth full of teeth and, you know, really, just really a, a cool fish. So I don't know. It's, it's something that's always fascinated me. And, and um, you know, and I fish, I'll, I'll be happy to fish any species of, you know, out there, but, you know, if the if the if I'm out walleye fishing and find a, a spot where there's some big pike in or or something, it kind of changes from a walleye trip to a pike trip and and uh, right away. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just always been a fascinating fish for me to to pursue. You talk about uh, some of the places that you've gone and and just some of the you know just you know some of the learning you know like over your time and fishing these fish like what have been some of the you know just some of the key memories that you have where you either you know learned a lot or just figured out how you you know what you enjoy about them yeah i don't know the first uh the first canadian fishing trip i ever went on is my dad and and my brother and uh we were up in the flin flon manitoba area and uh, we were just fishing a bunch of uh, smaller lakes around there and um you know it, it was kind of my first first experience of uh, chasing pike in, in Canada and and it really got me hooked and I mean it, I just couldn't wait to get back up there and 
and uh, and uh, chase those big fish. You know, there just seems to be more opportunities up there. Uh, that being said, man, around here in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, we have great opportunities for trophy pike. But but those Canadian trips is what kind of really got me hooked on them. Um, oh man, back probably 40 years ago was probably the first time I went up there. And, and uh, anymore, I mean, I we take several trips a year up and up into Canada, and and some drive to lakes we fish, and then there's there's some fly-in lakes that we fish to for bike, and and uh, have a, have some great trips with some friends up there. Um, you know, we fished them from Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and and stuff. So there's. There's a lot of opportunities up there, and, and we get up there, you know, three, four, or five times a year just for pike. You know, big pike. They're just kind. Of, they're such a. Well, they're they're kind of. You know, it, it takes a lot to catch one. It's it's a definitely. You're not going to catch a trophy quality northern pike. Never forget about it. And then down here, they're just such a treasured thing that, you know, maybe do you feel like going up on some of those Canadian trips? Maybe just helped you kind of speed up your learning curve because you just had that many more hook sets like like uh, like how, how would you kind of value that from like a skill set standpoint yeah I, I don't know there's there's so much opportunity up there you know and and uh and like you said it's it's unpressured and you know a lot of those those fish up there don't see you know a fraction of the of the baits going through the water that that fish down here do with all of our our fishing pressure and and i don't know if they're if we have smarter fish down here or, or just uh, fish that are not used to seeing baits, but um, you know, it's, it's, it seems to me that, that uh, the opportunities are so much greater there, you know, the, the, there's so many more, more lakes up there that, um, that provide that opportunity down here. You know, we do have some, some lakes that and rivers that put out some really good fish um but you know compared to the vast number of lakes and in, in the up in canada that uh, you know they, they don't get near the pressure they do down here so you know we go some of the lakes we fly into um basically you know they might see fishermen on there for you know eight weeks out of the whole summer out of the whole year there's fishermen on there and you know, some lakes like one lake we fly into and it's a drop in drop camp in there. There's a cab, empty cabin and, and we have the entire lake all to ourselves for a week. And that, that basically is only open for, for two and a half months. So it sees extremely low number of uh, fishermen up there. And I think that, that, that makes it uh, a little bit easier possibly that uh, you're fishing uh, fresh fish all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, this is probably a sidebar one once again, probably not something we need to go down as a rabbit hole too far. But, you know, the the great opportunities that are, you know, even right, you know, around us, you know, in the Dakotas and in Montana, like I said, and, and in across the Midwest, like, you know, in some cases, I think it should be said that, you know, it's something that we need to sort of, it's something that needs to be a little bit nurtured, and we definitely need to bring value to it. Like, because in the event that a big pike does get caught, there's definitely, like, I mean, they're just a big old fish, so we definitely got to take care of them. And if we do it right, we've got the tight with fertile water that can grow big pike. But I think, it, you know, down here, I think it's a little bit more of a conversation. Maybe you agree with that. You know, like, you know, we don't have to get all political or whatever. But I think that, you know, just 
realizing that it is a special fish and it's really old, if we can all just take a little bit of care, even if it is an incidental catch, I know there's a lot of walleye anglers listening to this, so, you know, still, maybe, uh, they haven't tuned it out, um, that, uh, you know, hopefully you just kind of just realize that, uh, you know, and I think that's is good karma, too. If you're the type of angler that's prejudiced to a pike and uh, you don't care if they live or die, I mean, in the end, don't you feel like there's a little bit of karma in the boat? You just got to treat a fish good, and you got a better chance of getting bit again. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this is big pike, you know, especially down here. It's such a, uh, such a awesome resource that we have those fish here. And, and I think we need to respect that resource. And, and I, and everybody's been there where you're, you know, pitching cranks for walleyes on Devil's Lake or, or whatever, wherever the lake might be. And, you know, you're, you're getting bit off by, by small hammer handled pike and losing cranks and, and stuff. And it gets to be kind of a nuisance. And, and, and I think they get a little bit of a bad rap when, when uh, we have those experiences, but you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, trophy pike, where you're talking pike that are 40 inches or bigger, you know, there, there's, there's not a lot of those pike around and, and they definitely, they need to be taken care of, you know, and, and uh, you know, a, a 40 inch pike is a, is a true trophy pike, but you know, uh, you, you, we have opportunities, you know, not, not real common, but we have opportunities to catch 45 inch pike or bigger here in, in these areas. And, you know, uh, if we don't handle a 40 incher correctly or end up killing a 40 inch pike, it certainly isn't going to make it to, to 45, you know, and, right. and even, even, even smaller pike, even, you know, uh, a 35, 36, 37 inch pike, that pike's gone through a lot to get to be that size and it's it's got a decent chance to make it into that 40 inch range or bigger you know so much more of a uh, that fish has so much more of a chance to get there than a than a small hammer handled one does so even even those pike we got to take good care of them you know and 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 do good things with uh, you know and handling them correctly and 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 getting them back in the water so they so they can um you know, survive that and uh, continue to to grow and hopefully get to that size of fish that we really want to catch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you find yourself, this would be my own little, you know, PSA around it. But like if you uh, if you find yourself in a situation where maybe you got a big pike and you weren't prepared, you know, maybe you got a bass net in the boat or, you know, a small walleye net or whatever. I feel like you can still do as long as you have good intentions for that fish, you can still um, you know, just you know, take care of that fish just to the best of your ability, figure out a way to get the hooks out or cut the hooks if you have to, uh, you know, with the pliers, whatever you got to do, but just have good intentions with that fish. And that usually just goes a really long ways. And if you want to nuance yourself, if you want to get into it and you want to, you know, then yeah, man, you got, you know, you, you can teach yourself, you know, we'll talk about it in this show too, but like, you know, having the right gear and things like that, um, to be more prepared for that is always a good thing. But people's intentions is definitely has a lot to do with it. And, and uh, whether you agree with me or not out there, anybody that's listening, man, when I'm fishing, I want to know that I've been living right lately to feel like I got a chance to get bit by a good fish. So when you had a poor attitude and, uh, and you, you know, you just have poor intentions and, uh, that you see a big fish go floating belly up, um, 
man, that's just not, that's just not good fishing etiquette. But anyways, enough on that. Uh, I just was thinking about that when you were talking about like, you know, there's definitely a contrast with the opportunities to catch, you know, bigger fish and just the amount of lakes and the amount of fish that are that size. Yeah, probably Canada's the place to go to have, you know, to get your hands on as many of them as you possibly can. Um, but you know, like, you know, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, breaking down some water, you know, here a little bit more closer to home, the places that you fish. And we'll talk about, you know, some of these opportunities around here where, you know, if, if you go, if you have a game plan and you get out there and you start, you know, putting in the hard work, man, you got some real chances around here catching some real lunker fish. Cause we've got some bodies of water that, um, have the ability to crank out some nice fish. It just might uh, take a little bit of nuancing. So let's, let's, let's go there. Let's get into some of the fishing now at this point. What would you say? I mean, we're going to talk spring northern pike here. Where where do we have to start? You 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 got to maybe um, maybe some stories to talk about some some spring fishing that you've done lately, or is you know just uh, we can get into some technical information. I mean, what's the most interesting uh, aspect of spring trophy pike fishing uh, for you? We'll just start there. Um, gosh, I I don't know. I think it's uh, what's really interesting is where where we can find these fish, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we've got the Missouri river and Sakakuia with the, you know, the other reservoirs, Hawaii and Fort Peck. And we got devil's Lake and, you know, those, the, you know, pike, big pike oftentimes are found around big water, deep water. They need cold water in the summer. You know, they, they kind of leave the shallows and kind of disappear for the summer months. So you, you, you know, it's, it's a good starting place anyway, is, is fishing those lakes and, you know, and they've got, you know, lots of food in there for these, for these pike, you know, the, the Missouri river system and Sakakuia and, and, you know, those lakes with the, with the Cisco's in, I mean, they're just a perfect food for those fish to grow big on, you know, and in Devil's Lake up here, we have, we have, um, white bass i mean i in the spring i often target big pike around the big bass schools and you know and fishing them in the spring you know you be fishing shallow and all of a sudden you see uh, you see this this dead fish floating and often you know it's oftentimes it's a pretty good sized pike you go over it and you know the, the poor thing he, he choked trying to swallow a two three pound white bass and, and stuff so you know there's a lot of a lot of good food in in a, in a place like Devil's Lake for them too, with with that. And then also, you know, there's there's plenty of suckers in in that lake too that that the fish will, you know, that's another good food for them to to you know grow to a big size. But even though you don't don't necessarily have to have you know a huge body of water either, and you know some of these. You know, rivers in, in the state, you know, there's big pike in those that, you know, they might, they might run up the river from a, from a lake or a smaller reservoir and, you know, oftentimes find good ones there. And, and, and believe it or not, I mean, some of these small lakes in the state are, have some tremendous pike, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest pike I've ever caught outside of Canada was in a small you know, 300 acre lake, I think it was less than 300 acres, you know, so they, they can show up in some pretty, you know, unusual spots too. Not, not necessarily the, the ones you, you expect them to be in like, you know, the big lakes, the Missouri river and, and that. Yeah. It's almost like, I think that's a really good point. Cause that's probably true in a lot of places where they're just unpressured. Like 
that's the that's the long that conversation of like if we bring value to them and want to go out and catch them. There's a lot of pioneering that can probably happen. Like, yeah, a, a big a big body of water has the potential. That's like a that's like a, a you know sort of like a, a scientific fact. That's something that you know like smart people could just flat out say like yes, there's going to be more potential on a big body of water for all the all the reasons that are easy to wrap your head around, but. We've got very fertile water across the Midwest, a lot of fertile water on small bodies of water that are entirely known for, you know, anything but a big pike. And so a few pike on a small lake that have never, ever been casted for, nobody's ever thought to just, you know, maybe look at that lake a little differently. You know, those fish have probably just ran entirely under the radar. I think, you know... I mean, we'll probably continue talking about, you know, bigger bodies of water, but yeah, just to not breeze over that point of like, if you, uh, if you want to get a taste of some big pike, you could probably still do the same thing as, you know, like a, like researching a walleye, like not just figure out where the game and fish has been stocking some Northerns for a really long time. I'm sure that I'm sure there's a few in there, especially in a small lake, you can break it down really quick. Yeah, we I see some pretty interesting things, you know, and and we have a taxidermy business and we do a lot of fish replicas and and uh, it's amazing to see where some of these replicas or some of these these replicas we're doing, you know, where they're where those fish are actually coming from, you know. For instance, just as an example, this last uh, this last summer, um, I, I had a call and they and and they they had a forty seven inch inch um, Pike, you know, and they wanted to do a replica, of and and you know, and in talking about it here, here that that giant fish come from a, a gravel pit, you know, it's probably oh, less nice. than two hundred acres, and they're in this gravel pit, and and then in talking to this uh, this person, this fisherman too, and and it's not the only fish like that they've caught in there, and that's the biggest, but they've got numerous between forty and forty five in the small gravel pit. It's just. They can, they can yeah, just show gotta, up some pretty crazy places. A little bit of deep water so they can kind of cool out in the hot summer, I imagine. And and there's uh, Game and Fish, you know, stocks everything around, you know, like North Dakota. So I'm sure they had food. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a, that's probably an interesting, you know, thing down the road too. But I, I want to be even more technical than that. And kind of maybe kind of break down for you in the spring. What's your... Let's start breaking down maybe like what your strategy is. Um, is it a time of year when the fish are a little more spread out and you got to cover water, or do you find you know finding the X as being kind of a, a big deal? Like, and how do you break that down? Maybe kind of tell me that part of the story for your strategy in the spring. Well, I think you know there's a couple things that really help help us in the spring. Is is you know the fish are are they're coming shallow to spawn. And uh, so they're, they're, they're in much more of a confined area. You know, they're looking for a warm bay, someplace where they can spawn. And, and um, you know, it is, so it brings fish from, from deep water, from, you know, quite a distance away into these areas. So, and that makes them pretty susceptible to being caught. And, um, you know, if you, you can find one of those bays, you know, there could be, you know, lots of big fish in there at one time. And, um, but that, that's kind of the key. I mean, otherwise you're, you're trying to cover a, a wide area on, on a big area on some of these lakes and, and, uh, you know, all summer long, you can, you can catch fish all summer long. You can catch big pike all summer long, but during these, this spring is when they're, 
they're in in that spawning area and, and it's they're way more the more more easy to target at that time right on yeah and for you do you feel like that's a bit of a process uh or do you feel like like on your home body of water um well, I guess I'm not assuming Devil's Lake is your home body of water, but it's obviously close to you, and there's a lot. Of, you do a lot of pike fishing out there. Like, do you feel like those patterns stay pretty true every year? Do you feel like the same areas are pretty good year after year? Do you feel like you got to break it down new, kind of a little bit every year? Yeah, it, it's the same. It's the same pattern every year, and and it's the same, you know. But you know, Devil's Lake is you know even in the last couple of years, you know, it dropped four feet one year, and then back up a couple more feet the next year and we'll probably raise again this year. And it's, you know, you're still, you're still fishing those shallow bays, hopefully find some weedy areas in there and, and things. Were, but you know, that bay, that bay that they were in last year, you know, if the water comes up two feet, you know, that bay may extend much farther back in somewhere or another bay, you know, down the shoreline might pop up that would provide, you know, those conditions that, that, um, we're in in that you know a different bay the year before and and you know this bay might be better it's just it's the exact same type of scenario it's you know as the water levels changing and even in sakakawi you know with all the water going up and down in there it's the same scenario it's just that the locations might be in you know slightly different areas yeah man i think that's really good information to note you know i mean and that's uh yeah that is so true and you know for you know, for the Midwest, you know, they look at, uh, you know, the states to the east of us, um, you know, talking about the pike spawn. Typically, the season is closed for them at that time. But these pike, they're, you know, they, they're they spawning about right at ice out. I mean, I know that they tell stories like in, in, uh, in Canada, it's not uncommon at all for pike to be, you know, or evidence of pike spawning under the ice even. I mean, they, they get after it early. And, um, and, uh you know, so for a lot of us, by the time we can either legally target them or by the time we're willing to, uh, you know, put the long johns away and get out there, a lot of times it's a post-spawn deal. But understanding where they spawn, uh, you know, I, I just feel like that's a really key feature if you're going to be successful finding them even after the spawn because you just got to know where, you know, how to connect those dots. I imagine now when it is a post-spawn deal, when things, you know, when them big females you know, they get hungry. Everybody knows fish get hungry after the spawn. Um, talk to, talk me through that part. I mean, that's got to be that special time of year when, when they start opening up and you start, you know, things are catching. Talk me through like the best spring conditions in your mind, like sort of that hypothetical, like best case scenario, um, for a day of catching pike and what you do about it. Yeah. Well, once they spawn, I mean, those fish, it takes a little while for them to recover. You know, and then that water temperature, water temperature drives everything with the, with these fish. And, um, you know, they, once the spawn is done, you know, they're, they've gone through that whole process and, and, and they're recovering. And man, sometimes it seems there's not a fish in the water anymore for a while there. And, but once, it, once that water temperature starts warming up and, and, you know, I just can't wait for it to get to be in that. 50 degree range and, and start going anytime anywhere in between the 50s and 60s for water temperatures is is ideal but i mean that upper the upper 50s to 60 uh degrees that's like 
prime time right there. And that's when they get aggressive and, and they're, they're chasing everything and, you know, and, and, um, you know, that not to say during that post spawn that you can't catch them, you know, we'll, we got to do things, you know, we'll use a lot of dead bait on the bottom, uh, do some fly fishing. And oftentimes you see giant fish, you see really big fish. I mean, I don't know if I, I can't say I've seen a 50 inch in North Dakota, but I'm fairly confident I have. And, and, um, I had a fly right in front of her nose, like three times. And she, I don't think she even saw it. So were just, they were just, uh, um, you know, recovering at that time, but, but, uh, give them another, you know, another week or two. And, and, uh, then they get aggressive and, and you know, that one, I, I wish we had, uh, a much longer period of time when the water is in that 50 to, to low 60 degree range because uh, that's kind of magical for these big fish for you like how much ground are you trying to cover like in uh, in the spring when you get into your areas like are, do you spend time just cruising around looking on the electronics or do you get up and start casting right away or is it a trolling deal i mean talk to me a little bit about your strategy and you know incorporating the presentations and some of your time management and just like what that kind of looks like when you're just getting started on a good day yeah i don't know i i, I don't use electronics too much i, I want to know depth i want to know temperature and um you know i you know you see some fish on side scan once in a while and i have been using some uh live scope and perspective mode and, and seeing some fish and 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 um triggering or targeting them with those you know tools but I don't know, oftentimes you, you, once you know what type of location they should be in and, you know, bays that in the past have been good, um, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, start working the shoreline, start working that bay. And, and, but I, I do con, you know, pretty constantly pay, pay close attention to the temperature gauge on my, on my electronics. And, you know, I don't know the whole science to it, but, you know, they say like a, um, a, a tenth of a degree uh, of temperature, you know, a fish can sense sense that small of a, a change in water temperature. And as soon as you, you see, you know, say you're fishing in, you know, 53 degree water and you find a, a warm spot in there where it's now it's 56, 58 degrees, uh, you know, then, then it's time to slow down and really look around at, at that point. So I don't know. Temperature is kind of, kind of the number one key for me. And, and, um, you know, I, I'm always looking for that little bit, uh, warmer water compared to the rest of the, the area I'm fishing. Talk to me about like your spectrum of, uh, you know, your baits, your presentations and, you know, some of the conditions that dictate your decision-making along those lines. Yeah, well, we use a, a wide variety of baits, and you know, like uh, we start out, you know, in the in the you know at this time of the year, right now, we'll find an open water area along the shoreline that's got ice out, you know, twenty five yards away, and we'll pitch dead bait off the uh, hit that ice and drop it into the water, and and you know, we do a lot of dead bait, and it's it's big fish or big baits like you know big herrings and smelt and ciscos and stuff, and and then. From there, we kind of work right into the fly fishing and, um, you know, because those, those fish are pretty negative and, and once they, uh, you know, but once they get to that, you know, that 50 degrees and, 
range that we've been talking about. Then we kind of switch over to more aggressive, you know, artificial baits and, and uh, like our number one bait. I mean, I think we probably throw it, well, maybe 50% of the time of these, you know, big giant paddle tails and, and, um, you know, they run really shallow and, you know, like a, a six inch paddle tail we've run, you know, we use that a lot, but even more so, I think we use like, you know, a lot more, you know, eight inch paddle tails, sometimes even up to 10 inch paddle tails. It's kind of our, one of our, you know, main baits. It's just, uh, it, it, you know, you can fish them slow and, and, um, you know, the big tail, a big, uh, paddle on the end of the tail there just thumps back and forth. It just, I think it's kind of drives pike nuts and, and, you know, another one of our main baits is it's, a, it's called a soft tail. It's made by Phantom. It's, it's a, it's a glide bait and it's got a, you know, a soft tail. It's got a curly tail on the back of it and it glides back and forth. And, and um, you know, those are our two number one baits, but we use a lot of other baits too. And, you know, a lot of these baits, you can fish slow and, uh, you know, let them hang and, you know, um, Rapala makes a, I don't think it's even available in the States right now, but it's called a, a gliding wrap. Um, another one that's another, it's a jerk bait, glide bait. And then, you know, another one's called a buster jerk. And I know that we get those from, from companies over in Europe. Um, you know, another one that would be uh, another Rapala bait is a, it's a, called an x wrap Otis. It's got a, you know, it's got a hard body and a long, soft curly tail on it um you use a lot of big baits big baits that you would you would probably fish muskies with are you one of these guys that fishes for big pike with musky tackle like uh with the the, you know your your line your rod and reel setup yeah yeah we do it's it's basically musky gear you know when we fish muskies we're usually using nine and a half ten foot rods but you know we don't use that long of rods but they're they're big heavy rods you know, like a seven and a half to eight and a half foot rods. And we use real heavy gear. We kind of have two setups that we, we run. Um, one, one with these big, you know, like a seven and a half, nine or eight foot rod. We'll run like 65 pound braided line on it. And, and then we, we tie our own leaders and make them out of 130, 130 pound uh, fluorocarbon and, uh, you know, a real heavy cross lock snap on it. And, and uh, heavy um, split rings on it. And then we run another another type of rod, and I, I call it more of a heavy bass rod. And then um, on that, we'll run like 30, 40-pound line on it and you know maybe like an 80-pound fluorocarbon leader. And, and then we fish some of our smaller baits on those. And, um, you know, some of the baits we use like a 6-inch paddle tail or a 4-inch glide bait will we'll fish on those, but if we use the, the big paddle tails and the big soft tails, and then we'll throw the, you know, the, the bigger rods. But one thing that, that really is, we found that works really good is, is we like these baits that glide and hang, you know, or, or we can fish them slow and shallow. And, you know, even, even something as, as simple as a, a cross lock snap on a leader, you know, it can add a little bit of a weight to the front end of a lure so, you know, we've gotten to where you take a standard leader and, and we try to, you know, simplify that to where we'll, instead of using a crosslock snap to attach your bait, we'll put a, just one split ring on the end of a, the fluorocarbon and, and directly 
you know, use put that split rate, uh, split ring onto the bait. And then on the other end of the fluorocarbon, instead of, you know, having something to tie a loop into to attach your, your line to it, we will use a, like a, a, it's called a nail knot where you're, you're kind of dropping the string right around your, your line right around the end of the fluorocarbon oh, and yeah. nail knot. And then it's basically, you're almost fishing no leader. You still got a 130 pound leader on there, but there's actually like almost no weight to it. And it really helps these baits with their action. You know, looking back on your career, like when you got into catching big pike, when you when you got to the point where you felt like, you know, this is like I'm doing this now. I've caught a whole bunch of them to now. Like like what would be, you know, some of the things that you've learned, you know, the most at this point in your career that you wish you knew back then? Like what what are some of the things that you're doing now that are the most important that you did wrong back then? Oh, definitely the wrong gear, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, I used to go after them with the, uh, the walleye rod, you know, and, you know, so many times you caught, had a big fish on that you couldn't control. I mean, you just, you'd had no, no chance of getting them in and stuff. And, and, and then with these, you know, you couldn't fish the big baits, you know, with those light rods either. So being able to use, you know, bigger baits, you know, for bigger fish and, and, uh, you know, I wish we had had that, uh, you know, opportunity years ago. And, you know, and, and getting these baits is, you know, they're, for some reason in the States, we, we don't have the opportunity to get a lot of these baits. And, and, you know, there's several companies in Europe, Sweden and Norway and England that we order baits from. And, and you know, and even you can, on, on a recent, uh, a few years ago, we were heading up to Canada. We were going through Winnipeg, and we had time to kill, so we stopped in at, at Cabela's in Winnipeg. And, and um, you know, we just thought we'd look around for a little bit and went to the fishing section and looked at there. And they had all these baits there that just a couple hours south, you know, on, on our side of the border, you don't have access to. So, you know, I wish we, you know, had those things years ago, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you know, the, the casual angler isn't going to realize some of that stuff, but I think you're spot on. I think we're talking about big old fish that, especially down here in the States, they get some fishing pressure. And so having, you know, nuancing your lure presentation and how you set it up and how you fish it, I think it, I think all that stuff is just matters a whole bunch. You know, the details of how you fish matters a whole bunch and, and uh, you know, the opportunity to get a bait that's an, an improvement, you know, like, uh, you know, I think that that's a big learning curve for sure. Well, how, you know, how many times do you, you have a small walleye on and, and then here comes a, a, a pike and grabs it while, you, while you're bringing the walleye in, you know, it happens, you know, fairly frequently and, you know, and same thing with muskies, you know, so, you know, you got a, you know, a 15 inch walleye. Well, you know, it's nice to, to throw a bait that's, you know, a little bit bigger than, the, you know, your average, average uh, crankbait. Yeah. yeah, they're not scared to whack it. That's no. for sure. And I mean, I th- you know, as far as triggering bites, do you feel like, I mean, talk me through that a little bit in your experience. Do you ever feel like, you know, throwing the big bait, um, you know, absolutely was what it took to get bit, whether it was, you know, getting the react- the desired reaction or... You know, how often would you say, maybe this is the right question, like how often would you say upsizing is just as valuable to catching fish on a certain in certain conditions as it might be downsizing in other conditions? Talk me through that a little bit. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think the, you know, the big bait, big fish theory is, is really true when it comes to these fish. And, you know, they're not, you know, for instance, like we were talking earlier, when you have, you know, you have a, a 40 inch pike and you, you find him floating on the surface because he's trying to swallow a three inch white bass or three, yeah, three, three pound, pound white, white bass. bass. Yeah, you know, so they're not afraid to, you know, what do they say that, uh, you know, I guess I don't know the science behind that either, but, you know, uh, a pike will try to eat something a third its body size. How often do you feel like that's maybe the wrinkle that everybody else is missing? I mean, when you're talking pressured fish, you know, just trying everything. I mean, I'm just trying to, like, conceptualize this in my own self. I don't have nearly the experience with it, but, you know, one thing I do understand with all of fishing is, like, if you're fishing a... you know, pressured fish, you know, whether you're currently in a crowd of people or if it's just a, a an area that gets fishing pressure, you know, trying to figure out your own wrinkle can be a humongous deal. In fact, that's kind of the fun of fishing is trying to figure something out, put a puzzle together and being outside the box. And, you know, I think generally speaking, if fish are a little bit tougher to catch, you know, just like any species whatsoever, as anglers, we're probably more so programmed to go finesse and go smaller. And it's not yeah. nearly as it's not nearly as normal to be thinking, you know, outside the box. It's it's probably outside of certain people's comfort zones to upsize to try to capture a bite that they aren't currently getting. And I think, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, those huge baits that people throw for muskies and pike. I mean, it's just kind of intimidating. But I can only I can I'm, I'm just you know, you know maybe there's a story. Maybe you have something to say on that too. But I, I think that you know there could be some opportunity there, don't you think? Oh yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, like we've targeted those white bass schools and in on devil's lake and fish, you know, around the edges of those sometimes. And, but then you, um, you know, sometimes in the fall, you know, kind of a community hole for walleyes, you know, well, walleyes are, they can be bait fish for other fish too. So sometimes the pike will kind of be around those, those community holes in the fall or, or even all summer long, really. And uh, so we'll we'll pull up and and we're gonna fish pike in these areas because we know that they're they're not far away and <laughs> and all the walleye fishermen are are there and, and we we pick up our rods and we we throw you know ten inch paddle tails and all oh, these big uh, rubber baits and medusas and different things and we get some pretty interesting looks from the fishermen that are <laughs> are throwing you know little small cranks and and jigs for walleyes and stuff but uh, you know you're trying to you know target those big fish that are that are eating eating something that's are you know already uh you know a pound or two pound walleye you know and trying to imitate those with the base we're throwing yeah we we pulled into one and a friend of mine uh and i were fishing and he was he was throwing a Oh, uh, it's called a bulldog. It literally weighs a pound, and you know, by the time the tail stretched out, it's over a foot and a half long. And, <laughs> and we we casted that in there, you know, by that that area, and just a big sound like a cannonball hitting the water, and, and people are looking at us like, "What in the world are you guys <laughs> doing?" But but then uh, you know, a little bit later, and you pull in a you know a, a you know twenty pound pike, and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not even going to talk about how many nice walleyes you catch when you're doing all this stuff because, yeah, that would probably, uh, I mean, you know, maybe with the internet the way it is now, we've all, we can all generally accept as walleye anglers that, 
you know, some of these pike and muskie guys have a few things figured out that we weren't thinking because some big, big walleyes come on those baits too, man, for sure. It's, it's, it's shocking how big a walleyes will catch on those baits. It, yeah, they'll, they'll hit a big bait. The biggest walleyes I've ever caught have been on muskie baits. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had a conversation recently with a guy that was talking like, uh, they were talking like, you know, some walleye biology and, or, well, it was, it was a study on, on smallmouth bass, but they were, there was walleyes. It was up in Canada. Any, anyways, the gist of the conversation was that they realized for, you know, just harvesting fish. And then, you know, uh, like, I think, I think it was like talking about growth rates or something like that, but they were looking at, you know, what the, you know, size age classes of, of fish, what they were feeding on. And then, but what they realized was the size of forage, like walleyes are almost at the top of the list. They're like up with largemouth bass, like a big walleye is up there with largemouth bass with, you know, um, the size of bait that they would prefer. If given the opportunity to eat 10 things, they'll go the extra mile to eat the biggest of the desired food forage base. And, uh, well, what's that called when they, uh, uh, expending less effort for more gain. I think it is something like that. They're, they're getting more value for the effort they're putting in. Yeah. Yeah. And big. it's like, yeah. And it's like walleyes are the epitome of like, you know, they will go out of their way for the big one or you know, for the big bait. Now then again, that's a sidetrack. We're going off, we're going off the rails here talking about walleyes, but this is a good conversation. I think it's just so, you know, I, yeah, I just, it, just to sit down, I get it. So many questions about not specific questions of topics to cover, but just people that want to hear more conversations about catching big pikes. So this is, you know, just, just sitting down and having this conversation is that definitely going to go a long ways with a lot of people and people from all over the place. It's like, it's almost like people that appreciate big pike are have to be some secret society because the rest of the the rest of the fishing internet just doesn't like them for some reason, right? It's like it's almost like there's a prejudice out there, you know, kind of getting back to, you know, valuing these fish and having good intentions when you're in and around these, you know, big fish regardless of the species, but definitely pike, man. Um, you know, there's just uh you know, I don't know, there's just a lot to appreciate there, but it definitely sounds like it, you know, maybe we can kind of you know, kind of coast into the, in wrapping this up cause we're good on time here, but wrapping this up with that conversation of like, do you feel like catching big pike in the spring is pretty technical? Is it pretty, do you really, is there certain things that you just got to know and pinpoint and do your research and be dialed in? Or is it more of a, where you just got to get out there and put the work in? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's putting your time in for sure. You know, and, and, um, it doesn't always work out and you don't always have a good day and there may be several days of tough fishing you know it could be a lot of different reasons it could be the conditions it could be the water temperature it could be the weather whatever um you know but you might put in several tough days and all of a sudden you have that one magical day that makes it all worthwhile and it's just it's uh you know putting your boat on a shoreline and and looking in a in a good area and just working down the shoreline, you know, wait until you you know keep keep throwing the bait out there until you find the find the one you're looking for. I don't think there's necessarily you know it's not it's not rocket science that's for sure. You know, one one other question here. We'll maybe close it out with this, but I, you know, you you said that you use a little bit of forward sonar the last couple of years. Um, have you learned anything? Do you feel like? 
it, you know, just through that whatsoever, even if it's just something simple, is there anything that you feel like with forward sonar that has maybe taught you something or opened up your perspective on anything in particular when you're targeting big pike? Um, yeah, I think probably the biggest thing is, is that, you know, oftentimes, you know, the pike will follow, you know, real similar to a muskie and sometimes you don't see them, you know, visually, but you see them down on the, on the uh, sonar and, um, you know, and, and to the point where, where some of these, these pike, you know, they come in and you know, they're down there, you've seen them and, and stuff, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, you think a pike is just, you know, happy to hit your bait anywhere, but oftentimes they're not. And it, it, I found that it, it varies from water body to water body, but some, some of these pike act just like muskies and, and, uh, they'll figure eight at the boat, you know, just like a muskie. And I've had, I've had, uh, you know, pike follow the figure eight, you know, around two or three times, you know, even more. And, and, um, you know, and, and before they'll, they'll, they'll hit the bait. So I think, you know, with the forward sonar, you know, it's just seeing how fish react and, and seeing what they're actually doing down there is, is been really eye opening to me. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you do, I mean, you know, talking about spring and in these spring conditions, are you figure eighting this time of year as well? Do you feel like that's uh, definitely a, a worthwhile skill or technique to to put your time in? I don't know. It's it's funny. There's there's a certain few lakes that it's you know early in the season and not so much, but you know later in the spring, I find that it it'll happen. You know, need to do it more often or have the opportunity to do it more often. And you know, in a lot of lakes, so they might fall. <laughs> 